Hello, all, and welcome back to another episode of the Strategic Whimsy Experiment. My name is Jennifer Hahn. And I'm Sarah Callen. And the Strategic Whimsy Experiment is a weekly gathering place filled with conversations about the films that shape our lives. Today, we are going to be reviewing the newly released 2020 film, Hillbilly LG. And we're actually joined by a very special guest. Alex, do you want to introduce yourself? Sure. My name is Alex Stone. I am a creative person. I like to call myself that. I am a film school brat, went to film school, graduated. And I too have a podcast called Alex Reviews. It's a movie review podcast and comes out most Tuesdays when I feel like it. And we talk about movies just like you guys. And I love that. I love it. It is so fun to be in good company with fellow film nerds and geeks, and we are definitely going to uh, nerd out a little bit today. Um, All right, Sarah, do you want to kick us off with an IMDb summary? Yes. A Yale law student drawn back to his hometown grapples with family history, Appalachian values, and the American dream. Course, the American dream is in that summary. <laughs> I'm not surprised. Um, all right, so let's start off with our one sentence summaries in uh, strategic whimsy experiment tradition. Who wants to start us off? I can start. So I'm a rule breaker, so I made two. And Love it. so I have my um, I have my film school summary. So I would say that one goes like this. The hard-to-watch story of a life of an Apachalan and how families are affected generationally by the sins of the past. That's number one. My actual personal summary is a hard-to-watch prestige film that Netflix expects to do much better than it probably will. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, the, the snark is, is in there, and, and we love it. All our summaries often involve uh, revealing our own personal opinions about a film. So I like your second one. That's awesome. All right, Sarah. All right, so I I broke the rules too a little bit in that mine isn't necessarily a summary of the movie, but it's just I wanted to give a shout out to a weird thing, so I am. Uh, my summary is: Why'd the turtle cross the road? To build empathy for the protagonist. <laughs> Amazing. Well done. Well done. <laughs> All right, Thanks. mine. Um, it's also not really a summary. It kind of is. And it is J.D. Vance's green light to come after Ron Howard and the entire filmmaking team. Nice. Very well done. All right. So let's start off with our initial thoughts of this film. Um, had you heard anything about it before watching the film? And then kind of what were your, what were your reactions? Well, whenever Sarah reached out to talk about this movie, I had seen it kind of like on my Netflix screensaver rotating. And I saw, I was like, oh, Amy Adams. I straight up thought it was Meryl Streep first, not Glenn Close. That was my bad. But with a name like Hillbilly Elegy, Hillbilly is a funny word. And I was like, this is a weird looking comedy because I didn't know anything about it. And I was like, oh, I'll check it out. And then you asked me to to, to watch it for the review. And I was, I was shocked when it was not a fun, lighthearted <laughs> movie about a hillbilly family in the mountains, oh. Appalachia. Man, that must have been a, a shock when you, if you went in thinking this was a comedy, this was far, far from it. It was very upsetting. <laughs> Man. Sarah, what were your initial thoughts of this film? Yeah, I... I didn't think that it was going to be a comedy, but I had forgotten that Ron Howard is really, really famous for like dramas. So my favorite thing that he's done is Arrested Development, which is a comedy. So I expected this to be funnier than it was. Um, So I had some of that kind of shock that you did, Alex. Um, But honestly, like I, I hated this movie a lot. Amen. (laughs) Amen. I have a lot of very strong opinions about this movie. Um, but honestly, for me, like it was it was 
really emotionally triggering for me uh, to go to like a really serious moment um, because of all of the abuse, all of the addiction, all of that. Like that is very close to home. That is all within my family. So watching this emotional turmoil for two hours, it was like torture for me. And there was a point where I realized that like I was holding my breath. I was really, really tense in my shoulder. So I had to like stop and then go for a walk for a minute just to get away from it because I couldn't I couldn't be in this world anymore. And the fact that they put us through emotional torture for two hours and then there's really not like a payoff at the end was just so frustrating to me. Um, so I I did not like this movie at all. And yeah, I, I feel like there's a lot to unpack about maybe like the writing and the characters and just a lot of technical things that aren't good about it. Um, but yeah, this was not a pleasant experience for me. I feel you. Um, it was rough. And I was actually really surprised when I watched this film um, yesterday. And it was number three on the Netflix US charts of most watched content on Netflix, which was really surprising to me. I expected this to be one of those films that maybe Netflix tries to advertise for. I, I too, like you, Alex, got a lot of um, those banner images for this film and kind of promoing it. And I was, I'm very surprised to see that so many people are watching this. Um, so, and, and my kind of initial thoughts going in was, I've heard about the memoir that was written by J.D. Vance, and I knew it was best-selling. Um, a lot of folks really loved that book and kind of the rural America that is being left behind. It came out in 2016, and so it was kind of very fitting for the times as well. And so I had high hopes for this film being a, a really interesting film that had a lot to say for such a time as this. And I feel like this, this film just got just butchered this book. Um, I haven't read the book yet. This doesn't make me want to read the book at all anymore, to be honest. Um, but I can't imagine being J.D. Vance and writing my life story, have it turn into a film and be done so terribly. Like, I think that would be such a tragic thing to watch and just to watch your life story be, be butchered. It, it would be hard. I don't even think, I, I don't know, as we, somebody said, you know, a, a culture being left behind. But when I started watching this, I felt personally attacked as I hail from hill people in my family. Where I would, when they were like, oh, don't say redneck, that's offensive. I was like, excuse me? I, that's yeah, my people. Right? But, yeah. and then I was like, I feel like hillbilly is worse, but I guess I'm not from the mountains. But um, I, I was like, this is a culture that I feel like we can move beyond. Like, I don't care about this type of person because it's it's very someone stuck in the past. And this is set mostly in the 90s for the bulk of the film. But it just, it brought back an era of American history that I'm just like, oh, this type of people, like, I know these people. I'm related to these people that just make my skin crawl. And I'm like, oh, I don't have any feelings for them because I know why they're there. They put themselves there. And just like the mom was just going to continue doing what she was doing. Like, I know that person. And so I just could not feel bad for her. And I think the whole piece was very overacted and very far reaching because they are, I mean, the Oscars, I feel like might be an easy year to get one, but Netflix is trying too hard. Yeah, this movie definitely had that kind of like Oscar bait vibe to it. Um, and it, it's really unfortunate because Glenn Close and Amy Adams are such great actresses. They've both been nominated a bajillion times and neither one of them has won. And so this could be the year where like, oh, we haven't given it to you before, so I guess we'll give it to you now. But I didn't find either of their performances to be very captivating, um, especially Amy Adams. It, it kind of felt like it was Amy Adams doing this part instead of her actually becoming Dev. So it, I, I agree, Alex. It was, it was painful to watch, especially when we've seen just how immensely talented these two women are. It was, it was like her performance was flat. She was just angry always. And there was no play, like space for the character to go anywhere. Like when she was chasing the boy and was so angry, it was just 
it, it was like it wouldn't stop. I was like, at some point, your right mind has to like catch. And she still like till the end was like, no, I wasn't hurting him. I was like, you just tried to murder him. Like, I was just, I just felt like there was, I don't think the, I, I, I'm sure the man's book is wonderful, but I don't think there's much story there. I think it's kind of like a rags to riches story of he got out and he's the lucky one. But the rest of their stories is a cycle and it's going to keep going till the end. Yeah. And I think that for this film to work, the film needed to create empathy within the viewers for the characters, for Bev, for JD. And it, I, for me, it didn't succeed in doing that. Um, there, there wasn't, like you mentioned, Alex, that depth or that nuance or that um, complexity of, of emotion of how, how do I feel about these characters that are going through so much and struggling so much, but also so, so difficult and cruel. And, and some films are able to, to, to get the viewers to, to see those and to struggle and to empathize. But this film, I don't think was able to do that successfully at all. And I, I feel like a lot of this film ability to work is resting on them being able to garner that connection that the viewer has with the characters. And I think that's what's really hard about a movie about this topic. Like, did y'all watch Honey Boy as Shia LaBeouf's? It's kind of his like memoir. Yes. Uh, yep. And and it was it had that hard to watch quality, but you empathized. Mm-hmm. You kind of understood a little bit. Also, it was somebody you're familiar with, whereas there was no break when it came to you know JD Vance. Like it was just bad always. His life was bad forever. And I'm sure, like, then he went into the military, which, you know, isn't historically, you know, great for your mental health. And then he goes to Yale, which he doesn't fit in. Like, I'm glad we got to see the pictures of the people at the end to prove that they survived (laughs) and are somewhat normal. Because it was just like, I just felt bad for him. I felt bad for him. I don't know if that's empathy, but I was just like, his life sucks. Yeah, I I felt very much the same way. And so after after I finished watching it and got over the emotional trauma, um, then I, I started wondering, like, okay, is there a better way that we could have, like, written the story? And I think it, it all just comes down to the structure of the film. It didn't amount to anything because it was this kid who is choosing on a whim to try and be a hero and save his addict mother, which, sure, that's noble. Got to stand up for your family. Okay, I get that. But in the end, he doesn't really do anything. His choices don't change anything. And it could have, like, he could have done all that with, like, a phone call or two instead of potentially giving up his future, going through this dramatic exercise, all to result in, I don't even know what kind of moral this was supposed to teach us. So I think if there had been a clear goal and like, okay, we're trying to tell this story, we want you to walk away with something, then it could have been structured in a way, if it was about the American dream, okay, let's show him going to Ohio State and going to Yale and then flashing back. Cause then, okay, yeah, you can pull yourself up from your bootstraps, but this one exercise of him going back home on a whim, it it just felt so purposeless and so pointless and told in such a scattershot way that it was just really ineffective, whatever they were trying to do. Which is really interesting because there are films that do something like that. And there is like a beauty and a connection and things we take away just by spending time with characters. And this was not the film where we were just kind of spending time with these characters and observing the, their vignettes throughout their life. Um, it really needed some sort of momentum because so much was so difficult to, to be in those contexts for so long. Um, that you're right. I found myself asking, like, where are we going with this? What a lot of the purpose and momentum felt very muddled, and so it made it even more difficult to endure some of the really difficult scenes of this film. 
sometimes it's worth it in a film to go through those because we know where we're going next or we can see the growth or the progress or the the downfall or the you know of the character's arc but we don't even have that to anchor to to make it worth it to endure and just all the flashbacks like I don't know about you guys but probably by the last like 30 minutes every time we would flashback I would like roll my eyes I think at one point in time I was like ah come on at my tv just because man I was so sick of JD in present time facing a situation and then to reinforce whatever bad crap he's going through we have to flash back to his past again not to learn new information, but just to reinforce just how bad things are for him. It was it was very frustrating for me. I don't know how you guys felt about it, but I think that it was just poor storytelling at the end of the day. I had to split up the movie to even watch it. I watched half of it, I guess, Thanksgiving. I was like, you know, what's more American than a family drama on Thanksgiving and my poor husband I was I was watching it and he goes I hate this <laughs> I was like oh my gosh because he knows my family he knows these people I was like it's true it's too real it's hitting too close to home at this point and I I had to stop and I was like okay you know maybe I'm missing something like it's really gonna like they're gonna land this plane it's Ron Howard like what what can't he do and then I finished it last night and I was really hoping we were going to get somewhere. But whenever we get to the hotel room and she continues to be the person she's always said she's going to be, the mom, it's just like, you're like, of course you're doing that because that's who you are. And that's, you didn't say you were going to change. Like she never said she was going to change. And it was, there was just no relief. There was no happy ending and I'm I do like a happy ending I can appreciate like whatever I think they tried to give it a happy ending is more my problem like they're like oh and they're good now but I was like why did you make me watch two hours of this for they're kind of okay now yeah exactly and I I think I think like you were saying like they tried to make something out of that moment in the hotel room so like when he when she's reaching for his hand and he he takes it (laughs) but then he chooses himself like I feel like that was supposed to be this like ah character growth moment but we don't care because in the next moment he's hopping into his car to drive 10 hours to a job interview because that is the best way to job interview is drive all night and just show up in the nick of time so like we didn't even get the emotional payoff for this like super built up moment It was just, it was so frustrating. And even the fact that when he got to that interview, we see for like one second, you know, it's a room full of Navy suits and he pops his head out as I was like, great, you left your family to go do a job that literally anyone could do and you're a dime a dozen. So sorry, JD, you're not special. And a lot of the, um, the phone calls to his girlfriend and whatnot, I think was meant to be that like, that emotional momentum and buildup of will he go to the job interview or will he stay? Like it was the, the big dramatic question of the film. Um, it reminded me a little bit of uh, High School Musical, the the classic Disney film where you don't know, is Troy Bolton going to show up for this audition or is he going to show up for his basketball game? Like it was the same level of we're going to take this one decision that he's going to make in his life and, and add all of this symbolic meaning to it because we can. Um, but I, I just, it felt very flimsy to ride this entire film on that one question. I mean, so much. high school musical did it better. So exactly. just watch high school musical instead. It's the same movie. That one has better singing. <laughs> Way more pleasant, far more pleasant. But going back to, um, one of the points you made, Sarah, around the flashbacks, they they were cut in a way that didn't create new meaning. And so it kind of felt like we we're just wandering back and forth in, in between his memories and his, his current reality. And I kept thinking a lot about Greta Gerwig's version of Little Women and how much she was able to draw out these these connections or these meanings by cutting back and forth in time. And I feel like 
perhaps they were trying to do something similar, but it it didn't work as well because they weren't as intentional with bringing these pieces and these vignettes of his childhood together in a way that could build on each other or add new layers. Um, we just kind of felt like we we're being swung back and forth in time uh, without a lot of purpose or meaning. Yeah, and and to the point that you made earlier, Alex, like those uh, flashbacks, they were all kind of the same tone of just Amy Adams yelling and just being mean. And I, I do appreciate that they did try and make her character sympathetic, showing that, you know, abuse usually leads to the abused being the becoming the abuser like I I kind of appreciated that they tried to do that but since all the flashbacks were kind of the same tone and done at the same level of meanness um they just weren't they didn't add anything they just uh, I don't know to me it was just emotional torture for two hours and I don't need that in my life at this point nobody does yeah, the I feel like one of the only good things about the movie was the casting of like young JD and old JD. I felt like they were a great pick because sometimes when they pick the young version, you know, for a, a main character, you're like that kid don't even look like him. But I really believe that was like, <laughs> the same. They had the same little chubby face. I totally agree. I that was one of the things the film nailed. They really looked like they could have been the same same person. And even looking like the real person, like it all kind of, it's like they all could be a family together. And Mama, like Glenn Close straight up, I feel like is Mama resurrected from the dead because in those like home movies at the end, like they nailed it with the hair and the glasses and like the big t-shirt and the pants that are the same exact color. It's very Kanye, Jesus is king, but Mama did it first. <laughs> props to the props and costume design and casting folks. They did their part. They at least did their job, yeah. Ron Howard. Looking at you. <laughs> okay, so while we're here, let's talk about Ron Howard. Okay, I don't know how you guys generally feel about him. I am I am pro Ron Howard. Um but I, I feel like this was a huge miss. And uh, why do you guys think that this this was such a fail for such an accomplished and talented director? I'm really intrigued to know what this book was about. Like, I, I kind of don't want to read the book anymore, but I kind of do as well to see how far off this film is from the material that they're pulling from. Like, how did we go from point A to point B and is that distance very large? Because I, I'm, I'm intrigued at why they chose to draw certain in uh, components of whatever was in the book and the source material, and also the way they've pieced things together is is problematic just from a movie making, screenwriting, story writing perspective. Like I, I'm intrigued to know how some of those decisions were made and how they took this one thing and transformed it into what the film is. I mean, after reading some of the reviews, it was like, just like the book lacking in narrative qualities, the movie did the same thing. So I don't think, whenever I read what elegy meant, because it was a word I was unfamiliar with, even though I think of myself as educated, I was halfway through and, and I was like, what the crap does elegy mean? And it was like a, a poem of serious reflection, typically a lament for the dead. I was like, oh, sweet Jesus. If I would have known that, I would have gone into this like, oh, this is going to be Les Mis, but the hillbilly version where everything is terrible. And maybe if we're lucky, everyone dies at the end. So we don't have to deal with them anymore. And I just feel like they were like, this story, we're going to tell people it's important. We're going to get Ron Howard. We're going to get Glenn Close. We're going to get Amy Adams. And we're going to try to get that Oscar. And I feel like that's the reason they picked the story. It's like easy, easy Oscar bait. I'm still just stuck on the hillbilly Les Mis. That's just so good. <laughs> that is awesome. I feel like it's the most accurate description of this movie. <laughs> I, think, I think you nailed it. That 
yep, that about sums up, except not everybody dies in this and everybody dies in Les Mis. So it's it's pretty close, though. But wouldn't it be better if they did? 1,000%. Yes. I'm glad that these real-life people are still alive, but I wish that the movie version would have derailed just a little bit. Movies aren't supposed to be 100% real, so creative liberty. That's also, it's inspired by a true story. They could have made this better. You can be inspired and Hollywood some things. Make it a little bit more interesting. Like, I didn't come to the movies for the, a super real story. I came for, like, a semi-real story that has a little bit of pizzazz. I think they added the pizzazz. But, it's just, like, the Hollywood gloss of we're going to have everything fit together in this way. And it's going to be really glossy by the end. The hand moment, the cheese. We're going to layer on the cheese because we can. It was like trying to give meaning where there is no meaning. It was a very film school. Like, we're going to show you this this imagery a bunch of times to tell you it's important. We're subconsciously telling you this is important when the value was not there. Like, there was nothing to talk about. And I think Ron Howard is historically, he does a lot of, you know, true stories, like a retelling or books to movies. And it's just a very traditional filmmaker But I mean, at this point, I feel like we can move on past some of our old school directors. They've had their time. Let's kind of get it maybe a newer eye. Like, I don't feel like a director who is in their 30s would read this and be like, wow, this story needs to be told. This sounds like an old person's story. Well, and I think what's so fascinating about this particular book is that it was it was published in 2016. And from what I have read on the internet uh was kind of positioned as a as a um maybe a a prescription of why the 2016 election went the way that it did so like republicans were reading it and democrats were reading it and this the book is highly political and is very much about like this is why this group of people voted this way and there's a lot of like social commentary and like there's a lot more to the book that was absolutely stripped from the movie itself and I think I think the the cultural climate uh impacted both of those things because in 2016 people were going oh my gosh how did how did this happen with with Trump and the election and people from both sides were trying to figure it out And now in 2020, I feel like there's less desire to understand uh, like it was in 2016. So I think also the timing of this movie's release, I think uh, just a lot of things are working against it in addition to it just being not a good movie. Uh, It's just probably the wrong time for this type of movie as well. Also, I don't know how you can write your memoirs at, what, 20 years old? Like, he was a young man, 25. Oh, man, you haven't even lived yet. Exactly. There's so much more life to go. And I'm I'm shocked to hear that about the political part that they left out of the film. Because, but it would make you go, oh, this is why. These are the people who voted. And now that's not a problem anymore, you know? We're moving on. <laughs> yeah, that was that was one of the things, you know, when the movie was finished, I started my my Googling of how old was J.D. when this book was published. So he was 32 when it was published in 2016, which means that he was probably 29 or 30 when he wrote this. And it's problematic for a person to be a the protagonist of their own memoir, but it's even more problematic when you're 30 and you're the protagonist of your own memoir. I think, like you said, Alex, like that's part of the problem why this movie had no purpose is because he hasn't lived long enough to do something worth having a biopic made after him. Yeah, unless you're like, you know, James Dean or, you know, the people that are infamous and young and you know, that eventually die or something, that, that you have a story to tell. But I think the meat was just lacking because it did not exist at all there wasn't enough like if he would have wrote a story about his family like more about the backstory of his mother and his grandmother because we see pieces of their story but not enough for us to assume oh they had it really rough and then we see him growing up in the 90s and we're like he was just a little turd like who cares about him 
and he got out and ran away. But the people with the interesting story are probably the mother and the grandmother. I don't care about you, JD. I care about Mama so much. Yes. Yeah. I wanted to know more about her. And, and even I was wondering, like, what if this story had been told from Lindsay's perspective? And so we would have three generations of women who are in this type of situation. Like, I feel like that maybe could have been really interesting in seeing the generational trends between them. That would have been fascinating. But instead, we are stuck with JD, who just is not that interesting. The white male perspective something that we don't need in 2020. Yeah, it also speaks to a lack of uh, really digging into your past or thinking more thoughtfully about the implications of where you came from, how it shaped you, your family's history, what that, how that translates into your current reality. What are you doing with it? Like there's just a lack of thoughtfulness about all of that that I think is also playing into why this is so problematic because there are larger implications for t- number three on Netflix, people watching this and and how that begins to shape people's perspectives that may not be from those communities or um, come from families like that. And, and I just feel like there's a lot of negative ripple effects from this that, you know, there's a responsibility of creators to to, to know and to understand and to take on um, the implications of the art that they create and the stories that they tell. And I feel like this was one that we didn't, we didn't really get that. Yeah, the fact that it's a Netflix film means that it's going to stay at the top for a while just because they're, you know, they've got the reins. So they can put it at the top towards the first thing you see and you say oh amy adams oh glenn close ron howard oh okay well i'll take a minute i wonder if you actually have to watch the full film for it to get the like you know the viewership to go up the the top 10 because like the fact that i watched half did that Mm -hmm. it's just like facebook like you get so many views if you stop for one second you get a view so i wonder how the algorithm works in that way because yeah, I don't remember the length of time, but it's it's not the full movie. It's like you've watched X number of, of minutes, so then it counts for the ranking. Yeah, and I, I literally just thought of this, but I'm a huge 30 Rock fan. It's a piece of, piece of art, just incredible TV show. But Tracy Morgan has a, TV, has a movie inside of the TV show called Hard to Watch, and it's literally just miserable life of an inner city kid. This was that movie. It was hard to watch. It, it was just hard to watch. And I feel like so many people will probably get to the point I was at and, he, I, and be like, you know what? This has an over an hour left. I think I'm going to stop watching now. Yeah, honestly, like this was one of those, if we weren't reviewing it on the podcast, I would have stopped in the first maybe two minutes. I At the point, so he, old JD is narrating and he's talking about how he loves his people and he loved going back home to Kentucky a theme that we only see in the beginning that we never return to but it's fine uh and so we see them in Kentucky and he's like man I have my greatest memories of my childhood here and the next scene is a bunch (laughs) of kids beating the crap out of him and yeah at that moment I was like oh this is not the movie for me and I would have pieced out uh because we knew exactly what we were getting into at that one fight scene white trash that's what we were getting into (laughs) yep yep exactly which you know what I'm fine with I have white trash in my family it expect but it was just so poorly executed white trash and uh that's just not how I want to spend my time personally yeah it's just not a story that needs to be told just at the end of the day you know, I feel like this story could be framed in a lot of different socioeconomic groups and would be more interesting because it's a story of an addiction. It's a story, a story about generations and how it all comes together. I'm sure this story has been told before, 100%, and done in a better way. And we should leave it to whatever film that is because I'm sure it probably won an Oscar too. 
And so that was another thing that I was thinking about afterwards. I was like, okay, how can we tell this better? And because it's not just white people who are poor and struggling. So I was like, okay, the the real life um, Usha, JD's girlfriend, her parents were immigrants, I believe. And so like, okay, this could have been interesting if we had the story from two different perspectives and you saw how these two very different groups of people uh, we're living and, you know, if, if it is a pulling yourself up by a bootstraps American dream type story, you could have shown two different perspectives of that. And it could have been much more interesting instead of just putting all of our chips in with this white family who is struggling. That's just a much less interesting story uh, when there's a much more diverse America that we have access to. Yeah, and and I like the idea. Even we talked about earlier, doing just the the female line of the family, showing that side, because it really there was a disconnect. Because JD was a man, his life is different. Just like when the mom, when Bev says to Lindsay, you know, you're gonna get pregnant because that's what girls do, and she's like, no, I'm not. And then the next scene, we like, there's so much depth. I feel like between their relationship and between Mama and Bev. But with JD, he was just always like, oh, that's my buddy. There's JD. He's like the the youngest. And I guess the only hope for the family because Mama took over his life. Which Mama also tells him, like, you need to be the one to save this family one day when I'm not around. Like, you are the savior of our family. The literal white savior. <laughs> yes. But Sarah, you bring up an interesting point. It was something that I was thinking about when they're in the hotel room and JD is kind of trying to decide, does he stay with his mother or does he go to this job interview? And I was thinking about how that pull between responsibility that you feel to your family and then also building your own future, which um, in a lot of cases are not in the same direction, is an experience that my mother, who is an immigrant who came here from China um, when she was in grad school, I she's talked to me about how she's felt that same pull between feeling guilty about not being around to take care of her mother and family strife back home, but then also, you know, taking the 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 ways that her mother has provided for her and coming here and building a what she thought at the time and has been a better future for her and her family. And so it was kind of like interesting for me to see the connection and relationship between two very different cultures, two very different stories, but the, the strife that, that happens or that, that feeling of being torn inside is, is the same. And so that universal, um, maybe experience that, that people from different cultures and groups can, can share. I think, like you mentioned, could have been an interesting thing to explore um, with the Usha storyline. Um, they didn't go there, and this, uh, this film isn't capable of going there yet, nor do they want to give it that time. But it's a really interesting point that you raised of almost highlighting where there are actual commonalities between experiences that seem on paper very very different from each other. Yeah, and I I think it's just what we've been saying that this movie took the least interesting, the most um, overdone version of this story and presented it to us as if it is this prestige drama that we should just love. And maybe this would have worked, you know, 10, 20 years ago. But I feel like today when we have so many other, like you were saying, Alex, these like talented directors and these talented creators who are exploring new things and telling stories differently. Like, I, I feel like this one just kind of is stuck in the past and not in a good way. Yeah. And when you think about Ron Howard, he's part of like that brat pack of filmmakers that literally get nominated just for existing and never really challenge our challenge. They're not challenging what we're watching or, you know, our ideas. 
it's just classic filmmaking, nothing special, nothing to write home about. And I feel like there's a lot more filmmakers out there that are making a lot more interesting stuff that we may never see just because Netflix didn't produce them. And so I feel like my time was wasted on this Ron Howard film because it, it just either they had a lot of funding. I don't know where from or know somebody at Netflix because Netflix has unlimited funds. But I just think we need to look for like the new and up and coming filmmakers that, you know, making more interesting things. Ron Howard 20 years ago, not Ron Howard now. Agreed. Yep. There's also like an interesting uh, inter- implication for actors and actresses on the films that they choose. Um, I saw a lot of articles and about the way that Glenn Coase and Amy Adams are getting a lot of criticism and backlash for being part of this film. And, um, you know, they're, they're kind of responding to the criticism as, you know, pushing back on them and whatnot. But it, it got me thinking about the way that actors and actresses as talented and well-known as the two of them and others ha- have the responsibility to, to bring attention to films that they believe are worth telling as well. And inevitably, like, star power is, is a thing and it, it's part of marketing. And so it's almost as if they, they have the ability to draw people's attention in, in different directions. Um, I'm reading Michelle Obama's uh, book right now, and she talks about the same the same thing. Like, there's this responsibility that she now has had as first lady to bring attention to the places and channel them to the issues that she believes should be on people's minds. Just with the the status and the the prominence that she has, and there's an interesting um, implication and responsibility that actors and actresses also have with their star power direct our attention to better stories than this. Yep. We deserve better stories that are told in a better way. No more hillbilly elegy, please. No more. No more. But the good news is it doesn't say that this is in a predicted nominee for best picture. So I do feel like they are going for best actress or supporting actress. Because usually having two female leads means like that's what you're going for. Because the men, you're going to get some old famous dude. But the women, there's a lot of variety in there. Oh, but at least it's not nominated for Best Picture. Praise God. Exactly. Oh, my gosh. That, oh, no. I, I can't even. My, my heart can't handle the idea of this even trying to be nominated for Best Picture. It's just so bad. It was bad enough that Cats got nominated last year. Um, that really <laughs> yes. took it out of me, but it just, my foot, I put my foot down at, at this movie. As you should. So, you know what? While we're just hating on this movie, can we just talk about some of the things in this that really, really don't make sense? They're little things, but they still are bothersome. Can we just be petty for a moment? So, like, one of the things that I was bothered by is that JD's, uh, you know, sprint uh, to his job interview, driving 10 hours for an interview that starts 10 hours, hours from now, he's talking on the phone the entire time. And this is supposed to be, I don't know, technology was not as prevalent at the time. So how was his cell phone battery going to last all 10 hours to be talking to his girlfriend, who he also deprived of sleep? Like, he did not treat this girl very well at all. And she was still here for him. But I was just bothered by the cell phone battery. How was he keeping that thing charged while speeding down the highway? I don't know. I, I was bothered with the fact that he's like, I got to leave in 30 minutes to be there in 10 hours. Yeah. I'm like, what time is it? Is it <laughs> what time is the interview at? Is it at six in the morning? And it's I'm not good at math. But, you know, I was just kind of like, and it's 8 p.m.? Like, when, what, like, where are you driving from? Because they weren't in Kentucky. They were in Ohio, right? Yes, they were in Ohio. And he was having to go. I was just, I felt like time was an illusion. Like, he kept being like, yeah, I got to go in like an hour and a half. And then it was daytime, and then it was nighttime. I was like, oh, 
clearly he's going to be late or he's bad at counting too, but he did go to Yale. So I don't know. And then they do the cheesy moment where he says, Hey, can you go tell them I'm going to be late? She opens up the door. He's standing there. Uh, layers Ugh. of cheese. The layers of Ugh. cheese. We're just drowning in it. Drowning. I was, I was yelling at her and I was going, what? You are going to do this for this man. You're going to look an entire fool going to this high powered attorney's firm and saying, oh, I'm sorry. My boyfriend is late. What? No, this is, this is unacceptable. In your pajamas. Yes. Uh So bad. So unprofessional. She was going to be like, oh, let me get dressed and leave. But no, she was just going to go. Yeah. I don't think that that would have been a, like, I also wonder like, okay, what's going on in your mind? Because if I were her, I would have like you, Alex been like, okay, if I'm going to do this, like I have to look lawyerly. I can't go looking like I just rolled out of bed. So I, I just wondered, okay, what's going on in your mind that you're going, oh, I can go in my pajamas and I can just grab like a cardigan and then I'm fine to go walk into a law firm. Like what? No, unacceptable. He's, he's for sure not going to get the job if you do that. So maybe it was just like a moment of like sabotage, like, oh, you clearly don't want the job. So I'm going to help you not get the job by going, looking like I was just rolling out of bed. Maybe that was the the thought process. Okay, so another thing that I, I took issue with, with this movie, is that multiple times, uh, Glenn Close's character, uh, reinforces to young JD that covering up of abuse is the way to go. And it just, it felt like, it felt like, you know, uh, in a mob movie where they're like, snitches get stitches. Like, it's, that is not what we do. I took a lot of issue with the constant reinforcement of, you know what, protecting your mother, even though she's actively abusing you, is the right option. That does not feel like a good moral uh, that we need to be putting in movies today. Yeah, that scene was rough. I was like, the poor kid is trying to do what's right. And I I was like, the woman should not be a nurse. Like, she just shouldn't. Like, Oh my gosh, yeah. Sh- she's the problem. So why are we trying to get her to keep her license when um, she's like a malpractice lawsuit waiting to happen? Like, Know your lane. And it kind of, I mean, they were always, they kept saying, you know, she was number two in her class. It was like, it doesn't even matter if you're smart. The Apachelan lifestyle is going to take you no matter what. It was very mob-esque from Mama when she goes, you've got to do it because we're family. Like, we are family. Like, okay, 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 okay. That makes sense. All morality goes out the window. It's all family. I I would have preferred this as a mob movie. Pretty much put it in any of other genre. The film has legs, but this this movie didn't have legs in any way. How amazing would that have been though? Like a mob movie where Mama is like the the boss. She's the Don. Yes. And yes. she's oh, that would have been good. I w- I would watch a hillbilly mob movie. That'd be great. Mm, yes. That needs that's that's a better option. We're yeah, that can be so many better options. That can be the actual comedy that we were we were Alex was going for. And it's a musical. <laughs> yes. It's Les Miserables, Hillbilly. Hillbilly mob movie. Oh man, this is such an idea. Wow. I like it though. I, I feel like we're onto something here, guys. For sure, for sure. All right. Any other last thoughts about this film? before we wrap up. Don't watch this movie. Please. Just just don't do it. It's not worth it. It's not worth your time. Your precious, precious time. It's just not. Just don't watch the movie. Especially when there's so many other things out that are just better. You know, I just steer clear of this one. But I, I would like to... Uh, just say that it was nice that they just threw in like a Radio Shack throwback 
in in the in one of the flashbacks. Like that was nice to just go down memory lane and remember when Radio Shack was a thing. Oh, and remember those dang TI calculators that yes. you had to shell out an arm and a leg for? <laughs> that and was they shamed you if you didn't have them. Yep. That was the I, universal truth of this film is Mama going. It cost $84. <laughs> is it made of gold? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm pretty sure that my parents gave me the exact same speech uh, when I was like, I'm sorry, we have to buy a calculator that costs a million dollars. Yeah, I got those looks too. Oh, I got the off-brand one and it did not work well. And that's why I didn't have a future in math because my family set me up for failure. But it this film really reminded me why I'm thankful that I was able to get rid of my own Southern accent, which I did have. If anybody has met my mother, she is from Louisiana, very Southern. And you just thank your lucky stars that you, you, don't, you don't have that twang anymore. And that's why whenever you picked this film for me to watch, I was like, wow, Sarah, deep cut, you know, making me <laughs> see, see myself in this way. I'm so sorry. I had completely forgotten that you were from Louisiana. So like, it didn't even occur to me that, you know, your people are hill pill people. Like it didn't, I didn't put two and two together. So I apologize for this. Wow. You know, when I put out my elegy, it'll be called redneck elegy and it's going to be the (laughs) true story. Yeah. I'm here for it. It's going to be great. And it will be a comedy musical. So as it should be. All right. Well, I think we've spent enough time with this film. Y'all ready to wrap it, wrap this thing up? Yeah. All right. Well, this was our review roast of Hillbilly LG. Uh, I'm not even going to mention where you can watch it because you should not watch it. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Strategic Whimsy Experiment. This podcast is fueled by our passion for stories and connection. And it's something we continue to do each week solely because we love it. This is our strategic whimsy experiment. And we encourage you to find a way to infuse a little whimsy into your days. You can subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you tune into your favorite shows. Drop us a review. Letting us know your thoughts about today's episode, about Hillbilly Elegy, if you did watch the film. You can connect with us on Instagram at Strategic Whimsy Experiment, on Twitter at Strategic Whimsy, or you can email us at Strategic Whimsy Experiment at gmail.com. We want to say a big thank you to Alex for joining us today, sharing all of your thoughts. Hopefully the next time you join us, we will choose a, a quality, quality film to really balance out the one that we had today. <laughs> We will be back next week to discuss the David Fincher film, Mank. We hope you guys have an amazing week. You can check out uh, Alex's podcast. We will leave a link in the description and the show notes below. And uh, we'll see you all soon. Thank you so much, Alex. You're so welcome. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks all. See you soon.